Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Now, in the last episode of our podcast, we told you that we were going to be starting into a brand new sermon series this week called Grow, where we would be talking about what you can do to help your faith grow. Well, all of that went flying out the window after last Tuesday. Last Tuesday in Uvalde, Texas, a gunman entered into an elementary school and murdered 19 innocent children and two of their teachers. And if you are anything like me, what happened in Uvalde, Texas last week, what happened in Buffalo, New York a couple of weeks before, it's been weighing heavily on you. So instead of starting into a new sermon series where we're talking about how you can grow your faith, I want to shift gears a little bit. So for the next few weeks, I want to talk about what we can do when we don't know what to do. Because the reality is, that's how a lot of us feel right now. We don't know what to do about this epidemic of gun violence that's happening all across our country. We don't know what to do in the wake of another mass shooting. We don't know what to do to help these families that are hurting after they have lost loved ones in a small Texas town. So we're going to talk about what we can do when we don't know what to do. And this week we're going to start by making sure that we remind people that God is not silent in the face of tragedies. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So last Sunday here at Melbourne Heights, as our worship service came to an end, I told you that we would be starting into a new sermon series today. I told you that we'd be starting into a sermon series called Grow, where we would be talking about what you can do to help your faith grow. So when our service ended last week, I knew exactly what I was going to be talking about today. But then something happened that took the words from my mouth. Something happened that left me speechless. Something left me feeling uncertain about what I needed to say when I stood before you during this service. It happened around 11.30 a.m. Central Time on Tuesday when a gunman entered into the Ross Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas and murdered 19 children and two teachers. I didn't hear about this story until after 4 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. I'd spent the entire day at the office working on finalizing a series of sermons that I'll be preaching a little bit later on this summer. But before my day came to an end, I decided to hop on the internet one more time to check my emails. And as soon as I opened up my web browser, I saw the breaking news headlines about a mass shooting that had taken place at an elementary school in Texas. Well, as soon as I saw that headline, I forgot all about checking my email. And instead, I spent the next half hour clicking on different breaking news stories, trying to figure out what exactly had happened. Even when I was finally able to pull myself away from my computer screen a half an hour later and go home, the story continued to stick with me. Maybe it's because I felt so heartbroken that 21 innocent people had lost their lives for no reason at all. Maybe it's because I was furious that another mass shooting had taken place in our country, this one less than two weeks after the fatal shooting that had taken place at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York. Maybe it's because I felt disillusioned that we would once again hear our politicians offer up their thoughts and their prayers for the victims of another tragedy, without doing a single thing to even try to prevent the next tragedy. 
But for whatever reason, all of these thoughts and emotions were swirling around inside of me. And because of that, I felt totally and utterly speechless. So I spent most of the rest of the night, Tuesday, trying to think about what I needed to say when we came together to worship today about this tragedy. And I even started to wonder if I needed to say anything about it at all. Because these events, this mass shooting that took place in Uvalde, Texas, it happened five days ago. And over the course of the last five days, we have already seen that the news cycle has started to move forward covering other stories. We've seen that social media has moved forward and the outrage that people felt on Tuesday and Wednesday has already started to fade away. And the truth is, I didn't know how many people would come together as we worship today, whether you're joining us in person or online, who expected to hear anything said about this tragedy today at all. So it would have been easy for us to just move past what happened in Uvalde, Texas, without saying anything about it during our worship service today. It would have been easy for me to just go ahead and preach the sermon that I had already planned on preaching today. But as I sat in my office on Wednesday morning, staring at the blinking cursor on my laptop screen, I remembered a story that left me feeling compelled to say something today. Now, this is a story that I've shared many times before, including just a few weeks ago. But it's a story that continues to shape and influence everything that I do in ministry. It's a story that's shared by John Swinton who was the chair of practical theology and pastoral care at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And he shares this story in his book called Raging with Compassion. And as he begins, uh, Swinton starts out by talking about uh, an event that took place on August 15, 1998. On that day, a terrorist group detonated a bomb in a town not too far away from where Swinton was living at the time. This bomb killed 28 innocent people and maimed or injured 200 others. Swinton goes on to share that he felt and spent most of the rest of his day that August day doing the exact same thing that I did on Tuesday afternoon. He spent his day watching breaking news coverage, trying to wrap his mind around what had happened. And maybe because of his profession, but also because of his faith, it wasn't long before Swinton's mind turned to God. He found himself wondering, how could you let this happen, God? How could something like this be part of your divine providence? And these questions continued to swirl in his mind until the next day. From there, Swinton goes on to write, On the next day, which was a Sunday, I went to worship at our local church. All of these questions, they were still racing around in my mind, but I was at least a little bit calmer now. And I just wanted to join with the people of God and receive some guidance as to how together we might deal with our confusion, our disorientation, our anxiety. The first hymns were sung. Nothing was said. We were told to worship, to praise the Lord, to lift our hearts and hands heavenward and appreciate the wonderful things that God had done for us. And we did. But still nothing was said. The prayers went by, and we thanked God for his great mercy toward us. But nothing was said about the bombing. The sermon was preached. We were instructed to have faith and to be thankful that God was God and that God reached down to love us despite our sinfulness. 
Still nothing was said about the bombing. The prayers of intercession, they came and they went. There was silence. The entire service came and went with no recognition of the tragedy that had happened in our country to our own people. The service ended, and I left without saying much to anyone. Whenever I think about the story, I am reminded that one of my responsibilities as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to not be silent. So even when I am still trying to wrap my mind around horrific events or unimaginable acts of evil, I know that I am called to speak up so that we know that God is not silent. So I've spoken up as a minister in the aftermath of Sandy Hook in San Bernardino. I've spoken up as a minister in the aftermath of Charleston and Charlottesville. As a minister, I've spoken up in the aftermath of Las Vegas and Virginia Tech. And as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm speaking up again today in the aftermath of what happened in Uvalde, Texas and Buffalo, New York. But if I'm being completely honest with you today, we've been down this road so many times before that I don't know what to say anymore. And I don't know what to say anymore because it doesn't seem to matter what I say or what anyone else says. Nothing seems to change. And because nothing seems to change, it feels like this epidemic of gun violence in the United States of America is a problem that is just too big to be solved. And it's not just this problem of gun violence that feels like it's too big of a problem to solve. Sometimes it feels like we live in a world that is filled with problems that are too big to solve from terrorism to human trafficking to systemic racism to childhood poverty to the opioid epidemic to illegal immigration to climate change and so many others. Sometimes it feels like we live in a world that is filled with problems that are just too big for us to solve. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? We're just supposed to throw our hands up and say that there is nothing that we can do about these problems. Are we just supposed to give up and resign ourselves to living in a world that is filled with so many problems? Are we just supposed to accept the darkness in the world all around us? Well, this is what I want to talk about over the next few weeks here at Melbourne Heights. I want to talk about what we can do when we don't know what to do. And if we're being honest, that's where we all find ourselves today. We just don't know what to do. Well, the first thing that we can do when we don't know what to do is just admit that even when we don't know what to do, or just because we don't know what to say, that doesn't mean that God is silent. Just because we don't know what to say, that does not mean that God is silent. Now, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it can be really hard to hear from God, especially when it feels like so many of the things that we're taught about who God is are being contradicted by the world that we live in. I mean, it's hard to hear a word from a God that we say is a God of love when there is so much hatred in the world all around us. 
And it's hard to hear a word from a God that is a God of peace when we just saw a violent act take the lives of 21 innocent people and shatter the lives of their families forever on Tuesday morning. And it's hard to hear a word from a God who is a God of hope when there are so many people that are filled with despair all around the world right now. But if we can set those characterizations of God aside for just a minute and remember all of who God is, we might just find that it's not so hard to hear a word from God. It's not so hard to hear a word from a God who delved deep into human suffering when he became one of us. It's not so hard to hear a word from God who knows what it's like to be isolated and betrayed. A God who knows what it's like to be falsely accused and imprisoned. A God who knows what it's like to be tortured and murdered. It's not so hard to hear a word from a God who knows and understands the pain that the people in Uvalde, Texas, Buffalo, New York are feeling today. It's not so hard to hear a word from a God who understands whatever pain you're experiencing in your life today. Stop. And when we listen to this word from God, this word from God tells us that God is with us in our suffering. God is with us when every tear is shed. God is with us when we sit beside hospital beds or even when we lie in them ourselves. God is with us through every up and every down. God is with us through all of the pain and all of the sorrow that we experience. To put it as simply as I can, God is with us always. God is with us always. This, this is the God that the people in the scripture passage that we're going to be taking a look at in just a minute are praising as they come together to worship. The people in the passage that we're going to be looking at, they're not praising God because God has made their lives perfect. The people in the passage that we're going to be looking at, they are praising God simply because God has been with them in their suffering and God has helped them endure that suffering. So let's take a look at Revelation chapter 7 today. We're going to start reading in verse 9. Here's what it says. It says, after this, I looked. And there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and they held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell face down before the the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and always. Amen. Then one of the elders said to me, Who are these people wearing white robes? Where do they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he said to me, These people have come out of great hardship. They have washed their robes and they have made them white in the blood in the Lamb's blood. This is the reason they are before God's throne. They worship him day and night in his temple, and the one seated on the throne will shelter them. They won't hunger or thirst anymore. No sun or scorching heat will beat down on them, 
because the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. He will lead them to the springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Although the passage that we just read is overwhelmingly a passage about praise, there is more to that passage than just the worship that we see playing out in that scene. As the passage begins, we are told that that John sees a multitude of people. There are so many people that you can't even begin to count how many people are there. And then we're told that these people come from every nation, every tribe, every people group. They speak every language imaginable. And then we're told that every one of these people are wearing a white robe. And a little bit later on in the passage, we're told why all of these people are wearing a white robe. And they're wearing these robes as a sign of their suffering. Now, in a world where far too many preachers are comfortable coming up, standing on the stage behind a pulpit, and proclaiming to anyone who will listen that God is just waiting to make their lives perfect, if you will just ask. This passage in Revelation tells us the opposite. This passage in Revelation tells us that people from every nation, every tribe, every people group that speak every language will suffer. And it's not just going to be one or two people that suffer. There will be so many people that suffer that you cannot even begin to count them all. So this is John's way of telling us that every single one of us will suffer. We will all suffer. But this passage in Revelation reminds us that the story of our faith does not end with our suffering. There's more to the story of our faith. And that's why we see the people praising God in this passage. And this fact is something that the best-selling Christian author, Philip Yancey, explains really well in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. This is what Philip Yancey writes. He says, there are two ways that we can look at human history, I've concluded. One way is to focus on the wars, the violence, the squalor, the pain, the tragedy and death. From such a viewpoint... Easter seems like a fairy tale exception, a stunning contradiction in the name of God. That gives some solace, although I confess that when my friends have died, grief was so uh, empowering that any hope in an afterlife seems somehow thin and insubstantial. But Yancey finishes by saying, there's another way for us to look at the world. If I take Easter as the starting the one incontrovertible fact about how God treats those whom he loves, then human history becomes the contradiction, and Easter is a preview of our ultimate reality. Hope then flows like lava beneath the crust of our daily life. This hope that Philip Yancey is talking about here is the same kind of hope that the passage we just read from Revelation ends with. It's a hope that a time will come when no one will be in need. It's a hope that a time will come when we will no longer have to shed tears because our hearts are broken. It's a hope that a time will come when there will no longer be violent acts, wars that break out, or mass shootings that take place amongst us. It's a hope that a time will come when all things will be made new. And the experience of Easter becomes a reality that we live in every single day. But clearly we 
clearly that time has not come yet. So how are we supposed to live our lives in the face of so much pain and suffering? How are we supposed to live out our faith when everything in the world around us seems to contradict our faith? What are we supposed to do when we don't know what to do? Well, to help answer those questions, there's another story that John Swinton shares in his book, Raging with Compassion, that I want to tell you this morning. And this is a story that was shared with John Swinton from one of his colleagues in ministry. And as this story is told, it begins um, with a mother and her daughter on their way home from a trip to the grocery store. When they were just a few hundred yards away from their house, they were hit head-on by a drunk driver, and they both died instantly. From there, Swinton writes, This woman's husband heard the noise from the accident. And he ran out of the house, accompanied by the couple's three other children. He called for an ambulance on his cell phone as he ran toward the car. But it wasn't until he got up close that he realized that the tangled mass of metal was his wife's car. And that his wife and his child had been killed. As the ambulance drove off, the youngest son moved closer and lay over his father, who was sitting on a curb, shocked. One by one... The other two children lay across their father, and they began to cry out. At first, it was simply sobbing, but eventually words began to formulate from their huddle of bodies. Why? Why did you take her, Lord? Why her? Why now? I want my mommy back, now. Swinton writes, my colleague, who had arrived at the scene, sat down beside the huddled pile of broken people. In silence, he prayed and he wept. How do we live out our faith in a world that seems to contradict our faith? What are we supposed to do when we don't know what to do? How are we supposed to live in a world that is filled with so much suffering? We have to do what this ministry have to do what Jesus does. In a world that is filled with so much pain and suffering, we have to be willing to meet people and join them in their pain and suffering. We have to be willing to weep with those who weep. We have to be willing to be a shoulder that people can cry on, a strong arm to hold them up when they can't hold themselves up any longer. We have to be willing to meet people all the ups and all the downs of life. So what can we do when we don't know what to do? We can continue to show the world that God is not silent in the face of tragedies, no matter how devastating or unspeakably evil they may be. And we can also show the world that God is present with us no matter what we face by being present in those situations ourselves. Now, next week, we're going to spend some time talking about some real tangible things that we can actually do. But today, we start with a reminder that no matter what we face, God is always with us. And because God is always with us, we can find comfort and hope.
God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, you know that we are all still heartbroken about the loss of 21 innocent lives in Uvalde, Texas. We are all still heartbroken about the hundreds of people who have been murdered in mass shootings all across our country over the years. God, you know that there is part of us that is completely furious that these things continue to happen. You know that there's part of us that are disillusioned because no matter how frequently these things happen, nothing ever seems to change. And although, God, some of these problems seem far too big for us to address or handle on our own, remind us that we can't give up because you don't give up. Remind us that we cannot fall silent because you are not silent. Remind us that we are to join people in their suffering. Because that's what you do for every one of us. So God, we pray that you comfort all those in Uvalde, Texas, in Buffalo, New York, and every other community that has been ravaged and torn apart by gun violence. We also pray that you join anyone and everyone that can hear my voice that is suffering, experiencing pain in their lives today. Let them know that you are present. Let them know that you are at work. Let them know that a time will come all things are made new, and all the pain and suffering of this world will go away. But until then, God, allow us to be your presence in this world. Allow us to be your hands and feet, bringing your hope, shining your light into the darkness around us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has reminded you that God is always with you, even when you don't know what to do. God is with us right now as we are hurting. God is with you with whatever pain you're experiencing in your life. God is with those families in Uvalde, Texas, as they are mourning the loss of their loved ones. But in our next episode, we're going to continue to talk about what we can do when we don't know what to do. And specifically, we're going to be trying to find some tangible things that we can do to help the people in Uvalde, Texas, and to deal with this issue of gun violence in the United States. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday morning. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. Or you can also join us every Sunday morning online live at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We would love to have you come and join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week. I will be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.